When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ancient Expedition. I think we're looking again at a lost technology. And it was this ancient apocalypse 12,800 years ago that wiped that from the human memory banks. Why were these ancient elongated skulled peoples or humanoids of Malta living underground? Now I believe we're talking prior to 9700 BC for the original construction of the Sphinx. And they were what some people have called giants, probably no more than seven to eight feet tall. And those giants have been pulled out of American maps. Whether it's the colossal statue heads that have been unearthed, to all the strange artifacts you've been showing in the museums, to some of the strange features they seem to possess, the more I learn about the Olmec culture, uh, really the more fascinated I become. Derek Olson here to journey deep into history's mysteries with you. And I'm really excited to be joined by a very special guest with me today. My guest is Natalia Campana. Uh, she's an explorer, she's a researcher, a teacher, I just learned, um, but she was one of our Peruvian tour guides on our last Egypt tour, and uh, Natalia, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today. Gracias, Derek. It's a pleasure to be with you and to have this invitation on to be here. I'm really looking forward to some of these discussions we're going to get into regarding the many mysteries and legends and oral traditions uh, regarding the mighty Inca Empire and pre-Inca civilizations. Um, but first, I just want to tell everybody, so on our, our Peru tour here last month, um, Natalia was one of our tour guides, and she was our tour guide on kind of the first leg of the expedition when we were in Lima. And then when we were in the North Coast, and uh, I was just really impressed, Natalia, with your charisma. I was really oh. impressed <laughs> with your uh, depth of insight and knowledge regarding uh, just all the ancient Andean uh, legends and cultures of Peru. So uh, that was a great trip, wasn't it? It was. It was great. I got this um, uh, invitation to be part of the group, not to be tour guiding. And it really, what really fascinated it was the meeting telling that, okay, we come here with an open minds and we come here to learn all the non-traditional history that we are kind of uh, got used to and to hear. But I always say to people, be open it to everything because everything is possible and from that you no know, we can really help each other to understanding more and to go deeper so um and i love the vibe of the group you now and all of you that are very into questions and looking for and examining that it really makes me really really happy i'm very open and to continue learning too yeah, I, I like how you referenced that first initial meeting we had with the entire group, where I kind of mm -hmm. set the foundation with telling everybody, let go of your preconceived thoughts and be open to mm -hmm. all theories, all evidence. And I really liked that you were open to that as well. That was really cool. So I wanted to ask you first, you know, I learned uh, on this trip again in Peru that becoming a licensed tour guide in Peru is a very rigorous, uh, strict thing, and it requires a lot of education. So tell us a little bit about, real quick, what led you to want to become uh, a licensed tour guide in Peru? Well, uh, for me, I've always been fascinated since I was a little girl about traveling, about ancient history. I was at my eight years old going into big libraries in the times before internet, no? And so I have this that spirit of really 
looking for more, but I didn't know that tour guiding was was the way. So <laughs> it was just a matter of circumstances, no, that I ended up in the tour guiding school. And yes, study for four years. And then we specialize in a particular topic, no? In my case, after the years of study, I specialize in nature and also archaeology. So, um, but it is very strict. Peru government, they really uh, take care a lot of the uh, tourist industry, you know, and make sure that these uh, national patrimonies are protected, you no? Know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've really got the government really has the tourism uh, locked down in a sense to where you were saying you mm-hmm. have to only be a tour guide in one region. You can't just be a tour guide in the whole country. It's either Cusco or it's Lima yeah. or it's in the south, right? So you're right now mm-hmm. you've you've been a tour guide I think in all parts, but right now you're <laughs> focused on Lima, correct? It is correct. Um well, I always been an explorer so I owned in one time I was tour guiding in the Amazon no and then I switched to Lima and then Cusco and then I'm back to Lima so um, which was great because um, it really gave you a very open it you no know, window let's say you no know, of uh, the different regions and then at the end you're connected all of them you no know? and this is what Peru is is a combination of different traditions and history and living history, especially no, with all the communities and tell us amazing stories. No, uh, Natalia, where would you like to start out with this? I'll just kind of let you start with where we, you're going to take us on this because you know so much about these ancient <laughs> Andean civilizations. Um, where do you want to start? I got this feeling that. When uh, people visit us here, I know that we go very, very deep into the Inca history. And the Incas were completely amazing, as you saw, and all these constructions and ancient technology. You know? But um, something that I want to share is that Peru is the result of more than 5,000, 10,000, and even we can go way beyond that, of years of development. So that's why uh, going into the Incas and then the people before Incas, it can give us a better view of all this richness of Peru, no? That's why when when we were here in Lima, no, we went to visit one of the oldest uh, places in the world, no? And it was the oldest uh, civilization in America called Caral, no? Which is uh, three, three and a half hours from Lima, no? And so we could understand uh, the long history of Peru and maybe going deeper into very old civilizations, no? Way before times, no? Yeah, I was so glad we went to Caral or Caral, which um you you and some of the other guides were teaching us it's this is a spot that you drive a couple hours north of Lima mm-hmm. and I mean it's quite a drive and it, <laughs> it is yeah. it's in the middle of nowhere and it's such a unique location and if mm-hmm. you're watching on YouTube right now or Spotify you're going to see some photo and video uh, footage of Corral so you know exactly what we're talking about Mm-hmm. But this is kind of a site that's barely untouched. A lot of people still don't know about it. But there's these massive pyramids that are as old as some of the dynastic Egyptian pyramids in Egypt, right? So tell us a little bit about Karal and the mysteries surrounding it, because it's in such a weird, desolate spot in a way that's deserty, but it's surrounded by mountains. It's literally like mountains on every side. Well, definitely... There must have been a reason why the ancient Peruvians, they chose that specific area. Because if you notice, um, we need to be completely off-road. <laughs> so crossing a river, enter to a valley, and then arrive into this desertic area. And then this, this, this uh, place is between the desert 
and already bordering the beginning of the Andes. So you are in this transition at uh, altitude or geography now. And once once you arrive to Caral, no, you see all of these hills, desert hills, and then we got the pyramid and the heart of the city, no, just in the center of these uh, desert mountains, no. And so so far, Caral is very new, very new. It was discovered. Well, discovered, scientifically discovered, in 1994, you know, by a Peruvian archaeologist, So they were, they've been working in Caral, you know, in all this time, but it still be very little that we know. See, we, um, the archaeologists are finding all these pyramids that are completely connected with the solstice, with the equinoxios as well, no? And it seems like each one of them, they're practicing different rituals. It's presumed to be about 5,000 years old, right? And mm-hmm. I think you said there was about at least six pyramids there, and the largest one is over 100 feet tall. So these are pretty big. I read somewhere that like in ni- early in the early 1900s, some of the original archaeologists that that were there doing excavations of some pottery and stuff, they didn't even realize that the giant hills in front of them were buried pyramids, correct? It is correct. And it might sound crazy at knowing that we are talking about these massive pyramids and nobody knew about it, no? But we need to also understand the reality of Peru. See, in the last 100, 150 years, we, we didn't know much about the pre-Inca history. See, and for many of us, many of the locals, uh, like the local people that we met there, they were only ruins or they were only uh, covered hills, no? So there was not much um, uh, knowledge, no? And that's why for us, and well, I got this big feeling that while we, we are opening more knowledge, that it will help us, especially to us, to appreciate it more and to uh, um, study more, because at the end, it's the local people who are the guards, no? The the ones who will preserve those places. Yeah, and it's fascinating to consider that if this is five thousand years old, I mean, this culture was thriving thousands of years before the Inca, right? Oof, so, yes. to your point, you know, when you get to Peru, everyone's talking about the Inca, and they were fascinating. But there's so much history before the Inca. I like it, Carol. Another place mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. is you took us to the Larco Museum there in mm-hmm. Lima, which was just an incredibly beautiful museum. But what fascinated me the most mm-hmm. were the sculptured ceramic uh, bottle heads of the, was it the Mochica or the Moche people? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And if you're watching again on Spotify or YouTube, you'll see these incredible detailed faces. But tell us a little bit, about this mm-hmm. culture and why were they making these heads mm-hmm. like this? I mean, the features were so, they were like the features were from people from all over the world in Peru. It is. And this is one of my favorite rooms as well, no? Because in this room, which is only, they call it the deposit, see? So um, they have more than 25,000 uh, ceramics there. And the majority of them, or most of them, are those portrait ceramics, no? That is really going into a big gallery of the history of, of humankind, see? Because we really see all these characteristics, no? And also, uh, it's very, very interesting to see uh, the people before the big mixture that we have in South America. And they really can connect in us with other civilizations around the world. A lot of, of the ancient you know, Peruvians, they were very looking very similar to the Mongolian people. See? 
and you really see them in their in their characteristics no and so yes i like to call it the first selfies <laughs> first. <laughs> because it seems like it <laughs> and they were yeah. very very detailed by even if someone have a scarf or one eye bigger than the other one they want to make sure that they would represent in that in the ceramic in this this moche culture um mm -hmm. didn't you say they arranged from like uh 100 to 800 ad is that kind of the time frame it is it is correct yes from 100 to 200 years after christ no so we're talking about a pretty much the same time of nazca society mm -hmm. which is another big one here in peru so it seems like by that time was called like the, the golden age of Peru because we got these very high developed civilizations like the Moche in the north, the Lima people, which is the one of their main center was Pugiana, another place that we visited in Lima, Huacapugiana. And then in the south, we got the Nazca people with the Nazca lines those big graphics in the desert, no? So they are all contemporaneous at the same time. Tell us a little bit about Inca origins or even the pre-Inca origins and how it relates to what you know of Viracocha. It seems like everything points to Viracocha coming from maybe the Lake Titicaca area. So tell us about what mm. you, your, your vast experience, everything you've read and studied on the origins of the peoples who inhabited this amazing land. Yes, and I really um, invite a lot of all the people to really see that part of the history of the Incas, all the Viracocha uh, legends, they're all connected. Viracocha for us is the God creator, and a lot of, of the legends about the beginnings of the Incas are all pointing out to Viracocha. So, um, so Viracocha is not only from the Incas time. Say, Viracocha, when you see the art in the pre-Inca civilizations, you see Viracocha in most of their art. Say, it's just changing a little bit some characteristics but at the end it's the same concept and it seems like the uh, evolution of these Viracocha gods through more than uh, 5,000 years of history see and then uh, during the Inca's times that we are talking about the early 1400s they've been saying that Viracocha was this very important god the one that creates the universe, the moon, all the stars, and everything that we know. And then with all this creation, you know, he used to blow to the stones and creating things. You know? And then he talks a lot about uh, Viracocha creating giants. See? A giant, but it seems like it didn't work as a, as it was planned, no? And then after that, he destroyed the giants with a big uh, diluvio, you know, water going and then uh, that flood. was one, yeah, a big flood, no? Um, and then after that, no, he start all over again, but already with humans, see? So he started to teach people, about engineering, about technology, about organization. So he was with the people for a time, and according to the legend, he moved to the Pacifico. See? And then after that, we don't know what happened, but it seems like he went to the sky. See? And it's very interesting because when you see, like, for example, in the Largo Museum, uh, we really see uh, the same legend, but with another name. Um, we got Nailam, is another god in, in one of the pre-Inca uh, cultures, and he got the same story, being someone 
on Earth and then disappearing in the Pacific. See? So for me, a study all these civilizations, um, definitely there is something that is clicking and it says this is not a coincidence. No? There are some connections over there. And um, so that's one of the uh, legends of the creation of the Incas, no? So when he destroyed the giants and they start the first couple of the, the Incas, the royal couple called Manco Capac and Mama Occhio, they emerge, they start from Lake Titicaca, from the deepest waters of Lake Titicaca, and then they went to looking for lower lands in a fertile valley that's how they arrived to the valley of Cusco. Mm -hmm. And this is where this all starts. Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting how so much of those Andean legends um, are similar to kind of what the Bible describes too. Yes, yes. With, you know, I agree. The creator God, a flood, giants, uh, giants mm. get wiped out. <laughs> restart with humans um and yeah it's so interesting because don't a lot of the quechuan uh legends speak of even giants possibly building some of these walls um they are they are in some um, but they are not so popular on this um uh, on the tales no of the local people they are more related to Viracocha and the uh, and the sun, the moon, no, but um, but you really can tell that there there might be some relationship with that too. We are not South American cultures. We are not the only ones. Also, you find this very similar story in Mesoamerica, like Mayas, Aztecs. No, they got some stories like that too. When I went to Peru this last time, I came away with a new sense of just how these ancients were so holistic. <laughs> they knew all about the earth. Um, I mean, they knew more about the created earth than I think we do today. They knew mm -hmm. all about the ingredients. And, and even in these megalithic walls are hidden these anthropomorphic, zoomorphic figures of pumas and mm -hmm. serpents and um they the ancients really held the mountains to be sacred correct and it seems like mm -hmm. ma the the machu picchu mountain is the most sacred is that accurate yes well machu picchu it was uh, one of the most important for sure but i'm sure that a lot of, of them they were all very well connected no and um and it's true. This is something that for thousands of years, people have been observing nature. And by observing nature, we consider nature not like a resource. We, we consider it like a living being. See? So that going into that concept, you know, we created a very beautiful way of preserving, talking to the mountains. No, talking to Pachamama, Mother Nature, and going into that concept too, all the temples, no, as you saw, they have this harmony, no, with nature. And and it seems like a lot of, of the temples, yes, they were for praying, no, and connecting, but also I believe they got some very healing centers, say. And because you really see it, once you are in there, all is they're all connected and aligned with the sun, with the moon, the air. So very, very well done. No? Not only the constructions, especially the locations. One thing I really um, was learning about on this trip was the legend of Hanan Pacha. Uh, or the three worlds. Do you know anything mm -hmm. about that? And mm -hmm. so let me set this up and then you can kind of tell me if I'm wrong or you can add to it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But the legend of the, the Hanan Pacha basically means there's three worlds and mm -hmm. the Hanan Pacha is the 
it's like 3D. They're the first culture who many believed shaped the bedrock and engineered the biggest cyclopean walls. And then you've got the Uran Pacha who came along later. And they're also called, I think, the Sapa Rumi, who, and they were like the second culture who might have engineered smaller sized megaliths like at Machu Picchu or the, the foundations. And then you've got the Ukan Pacha, who might have been like the Wari and the Inca, who would have come along much later and built on top of the previous two older cultures. Well, yes, I heard about that. Um... That legend also, no? And the three words are very present in our culture. And the way how they interacted and they hope us for the construction of a lot of, of places, no? And as you well describe it, no? You got the word of the upper word, as we call it, no? The Hanapacha. Then this one, the, the present. No word, the Kaipacha and the Ukupacha, the word of the death. No, and they're all connected to one another. No, and yeah. they seems like during the different ceremonies, they could connect it with those three words. No, and help them for giving the answers uh, for construction or also astronomical studies. No. And I want to add something to that. Uh, we represent the animals in the three words. See? Right. Like the word of the of the gods is represented by the condor, then the word of humans by cats, like the jaguar or puma, and then the word of the deaths by the serpents. And one of one of my points is you got the birds, you got the felines, and then you got the serpents. They're all connected in this big circle that it makes the three worlds. So when we go into study all other civilizations, we are not that far from that too, right? So we got Egyptians, no? They were big observers and lovers of felines. No. We got to the Mayas with the um, uh, eagles, the serpents. Then um, I can name so many of them. Asian Greeks, Romans, oof, India, even the Chinese dragon. So many people believe that the dragon only belongs to China. That's not true. You see dragons in Mesoamerica. You see dragons in Peru. And the dragon is a mix of the three animals. So you got this, you know, this uh, face of a cat, body of a snake, which flies. So, um, and somehow they're all represented over there. So, I don't know, I just live in there like this. I, I plant in the seat to see where yeah. that can take us. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. It's it's fascinating how, like they say, these are like living stones. It's not just a big giant wall. Okay. It's a big giant wall that has been incredibly engineered, but then inside these walls are hidden these pictograms. Like at the, um, mm -hmm. the Inca Roca wall is mm -hmm. the, uh, I think there's a puma in that wall. Mm -hmm. And then at uh, Sacse Waman, there's the massive puma uh, mm -hmm. paw, and mm -hmm. then at Soxima there's the serpent. And so literally the three worlds, It's that just to me is so mind-blowing. It's not just three different civilizations possibly, but it's three levels of consciousness all represented by these three animals that are embedded yeah. everywhere. And even like at um, the Gate of the Sun at Ojante Tambo. Yeah. I mean, there's what looks like massive puma faces that used to be on that. Wow. That were, you know, since chiseled off. So, so much we could talk about. <laughs> is there a favorite? Yes. Is there any other favorite legends you have of the pre-Incas or the Incas that you want to share? Well, um, the one that I was I was describing to you about Viracocha, it's really, it really fascinates me. And 
you know, legends always come from a fact. I always say that. So it's just that with the past of the centuries, we added more the mythological and the magical aspects. But definitely it comes from a true story. And that's why whenever I go deeper into the Viracocha legend and that we, they said, no, uh, all the beginnings and the late Titicaca. So you hit that, late Titicaca. So, okay, where it take us? When you visit that part, which is bordered with Bolivia, which is Bolivia is also fantastic, no? You got the Tiahuanaco uh, civilization there, no? So all that part is one of the oldest parts uh, of South America, see, in terms of ancestral history. So Vida uh, Corcha talks a lot about the late Titicaca. So, and then not so far away or not so long ago, they did some studies. I think it was the Pennsylvania University and one, one other one in Brussels. They, they did some studies. They went deep in some part of the late Titicaca and they've been finding uh, basils, they've been finding, uh, they found um, remains of an ancient civilization in the deepest water of the late Titicaca. So, and, so, and then you go a little bit in the surroundings of the late Titicaca and there was a, a place where there are, seems like of some portals, we call it sacred portales, no? uh, where people used to be connected. And then you connected with Viracocha, and it seems it seems to me that there is something over there to really continue looking for it. Say that Lake Titicaca yeah. water, it's I mean, it's it's amazing. Yeah, there is so much regarding legends of portals around that area. What do you? Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about uh, Amaru Muru and the legends of the portal there? Isn't there a legend where a guy actually went through it with a sun disc? Yes. Um, well, I heard about that. I haven't been there yet. I'm going very soon. <laughs> For some reason, we are talking about this because it's really awakening me that desire to go there very soon. I can hear a lot of stories, but I need to feel it. I need to open in my mind and see what is happening there. But it definitely is connected to the remains in the bottom of the Lady Gaga. I'm very sure about that. So when the Inca arrived, they, they worshipped many gods, but like you said, mm-hmm. Viracocha was their primary creator deity, correct? Yes, see. And and the Inca, they the crazy thing is they only lasted what was it about a hundred years? Yeah, 100, 130, 140 years so far, as as we know. Yeah, and there was only about six total Inca emperors that I I think I remember. Each each emperor was known as the Sapa Inca or the only emperor. And so tell us what you know about the Inca Empire Mm -hmm. and what what amazes you most about them. Yes, um, something that... It really is really fascinated about uh, the Incas is that they took the best of all the people before them, and so they were very big collector of knowledge, and that's why, for me, is one of the explanations why in such a short time they did all the amazing things that we see now. See, and. Well, compared to other pre-Inca societies, it took for them 300, 400, 700 years. No? They had a very long process. But the Incas, in a very short period of time, they were building places like Machu Picchu. No? They were building places uh, like Sacsayhuaman, no? completing also of what people did before so they completed, no, and and they were all in the process of of construction and very high technology. When we say the word Inca, mm-hmm. that doesn't just refer to the general population, right? Doesn't it? It really refers to the ruling class. See, and this is something that later on during the uh, colonial time, the real name of the civilization was lost. 
say, because as you have you said that Inca was only the the king, no? Let's put it or the Sapa Inca, no? Uh, if we compare it to Europe, will be the a king, no? The main royalty. Um, but the real name, I'm going to say it in Quechua, see, which is the native language in Peru. The real name is was called Tawantinsuyo. Tawantinsuyo. It's a long name, but the uh, meaning of that name is Tawa means four, no? Tin is abbreviation of sun, and Suyo means regions. So if we put together the four regions of the sun, no? And so they were, they were called it like this, no? And later on, during the Spanish times, they, they named it Inca to everyone, no? So, and yes, they, they were really amazing, no? By collecting all the knowledge of the people before them. And something that is very beautiful once you visit the Inca sites, it's the amazing energy that those sites have. And there is some uh, beautiful, uh, it's very peaceful. They are healing centers. They are healing centers for sure. So it must be something with the vibration. You know, everything is moving by sounds, no? The resonance of everything. So I believe that many of those places were by vibration, they were healing people. And you really feel it. We can't see it. Energy is something that we cannot see, but we can feel. So you feel it there. Okay. Same thing in Egypt. You know, all really? of these ancient wow. Egyptian temples were basically healing or fertility centers. Oof. And at some points, you can you can definitely feel energy. Um, we had a couple of people on our last Egypt tour Mm. that felt energy so strong. There was a doctor on our tour mm. and she's into holistic medicine. She felt mm -hmm. energy so strong at Isis temple. She had to literally leave because it was, it was so powerful. She, her body couldn't handle it. <laughs> so I was like, wow. And then I, I might've shared on a previous episode. Mm. I'm not a guy that feels a whole lot, but when I was in the so-called King's chamber of the great pyramid this last time, Mm -hmm. Um, our guide was resonating the chamber and it was getting louder and louder. And I Oof. felt like um, it was, I don't know if you've ever had that laughing gas at the dentist, the the gas that makes you kind of just real peaceful. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's what it felt, <laughs> felt like. That. It, was, it was just like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's really interesting what you're saying because um, there must be um, a reason now why all of these are connected. And, and there must be a reason why no matter where we, where we were at that time, South America, Egypt, um, Mesoamerica, no? we ended up doing the same thing. Who knows that maybe we were connected by this magnetic resonance, and we were healing centers all around the world, you no? Know? And the ancient um, civilizations they have they figuring out some one some of this technology that modern medicine are trying to figure it out right now, you no? Know? Because definitely you feel it, and so I'm trying to think how can we decodify that to know speaking of energy one thing that really hit home on this last uh, Peru trip mm -hmm. was that at a lot of the at most of these sites at the oldest parts of the sites that might be pre-inca are mm -hmm. these um what are they called these intuantanas Mm -hmm. The kind of in the shape of the Andean cross, the Intuantanas, like mm -hmm. at um, Machu Picchu's got the most famous one. Mm -hmm. But then I think we saw one at PSAC and several other sites. And it's almost like um, Rumi, our other guide, was theorizing 
these intuantanas might have acted kind of like an obelisk in Egypt mm-hmm. that is uh, like an antenna pulling down the energy to this site. What are your thoughts on that? Hmm. I want to show you something. Can you see? <laughs> yeah. I think we are talking about the same, right? Yep. And this is a sacred symbol for us. Um, but you can also see some similarities in other civilizations, but it's very present here in, in Peru, which is the Chacana, no? Chacana, it means portal, say, or a stair to the most elevate, if we want another interpretation. And we already know that when we are uh, into those temples, no, in any sacred place, and if we see a chakana, that place, something happening there, see? And perhaps it was a place of special rituals, a, a portal or a way of connecting for elevating consciousness, no? And yes, so this symbol is very powerful. And even in Machu Picchu, if there is one uh, area that uh, only you see half of this you know, on the ground, but then you have three windows, you know, and then during the uh, winter solstice, the sunlight entering, and then it, it completes the other half with a shadow. See? So I always say to people, where do you think is the other side? Underground? I say, uh-uh. Wait until the winter solstice to see them complete. No? So you really see this connection between Earth and the cosmos and how the Chacana was the bridge for connecting both. So that's why it is fascinating. But isn't the other name for that the Andean Cross too? Uh, see, well, we call it the, the Cruz Andina, no? The Andean Cross, no? And then the 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 word that we know the most is Chacana, no? Which was probably the so, Inca word. Uh-huh, see, it is an Inca word. So some people, they, they there's so many interpretations of the Chacana. You can see them maybe connected to the Southern Cross constellation. Also, if you see, it has like three. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, and then you got a center. So we were talking about the three words previously, right? Right. So one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, and then you got something that connects everything, which is the one in the middle. So it could be many, many interpretations there. Also connected with the solar calendar, the the equinoxios, and oof, and that's why it's very powerful symbol for us. Yeah, and that symbol is one of the most ancient symbols of the region. It way predates the Inca, correct? It is correct. Yeah. and we 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 are more familiar with the Incas with the Chacana because this is where you see them uh, in the Inca sites. But once we go into this not so popular or maybe we are still working, not excavating on the other sides, we can see that this symbol existed even in times before Christ, by the time of perhaps uh, Aral, no? Not so long ago, like four months ago, uh, archaeologists in Peruvian, Peruvian University, they found the biggest chacana So far, known in just four hours from Lima, uh, on the way to Caral, no, in some parts over there. So four months ago, that's nothing, no. So yeah, and we were actually supposed to go see that, but we ran out of time. I was so bummed on our (laughs) tour. It was. It was. It's still be a difficult place to get there. when people ask me, Natalia, uh, how how is Peru? It's like, okay, ready for the adventure, eh? Because <laughs> <laughs> as you saw, we went into some farms, we went to some cornfields and uh, communities, and and the 
and the cards are like boom, 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 no? And because, well, still be one of the few places around the world that you got the luxury to experience something like this, to really feel that adventure. Okay. Yeah, I love what you just shared about the Chincana <laughs> because really it's such a fascinating place. The history is so deep in Peru and Cusco and in the with the Inca and the pre-Inca because that symbol, that Chincana, it's literally embedded everywhere. You see it at every temple. I love yeah. that you reminded me it basically symbolizes a portal. Mm -hmm. But like you said, it also... It's symbolic of that Hanan Pacha, the three worlds, the three levels of consciousness. It's it's all symbolic. Mm -hmm. And like what you said, when the sum, when the solstice hits, what is it, June 13th? Uh, June 21st. June 21st. When that mm -hmm. solstice hits, you can literally see the shadows beaming mm -hmm. off these ancient megalithic symbols. Like she said, you you'll see a part of it above ground. But then the shadow makes the other part revealed and you realize, okay, wow, these wow. people had, they had an amazing astronomical knowledge, right? Yeah. Can you imagine being, and because this is Machu Picchu, no? This, this place that I'm describing, no? With the Chacana. And uh, imagine being in Machu Picchu and at that time, and they are waiting for the exactly hour where the sun hits and complete the sacred symbol, no? So definitely that was a, a big feeling and that's how they were all connected with the three words, no? And doing the ceremonies for healing or connecting, talking, understanding the cosmos and the universe, no? It's this deep knowledge of that, no? Nature and universe, no? Yeah, Atahualpa, I think he ruled about 1532, and he was kind of like the last official Inca emperor. And like yeah. you said, that's when the, the Spanish came to the mm -hmm. Cusco area to take over. Mm -hmm. And Atahualpa had heard all the legends of Viracocha mm -hmm. returning one day from the sea. And didn't some of the legends, though, state that like Viracocha had kind of like white skin. So when the Spanish arrived with white skin, they thought yeah. this, these are the gods. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And it, that was um, back in the 17th century. No, this is where all the Spanish chronics, no, they, they wrote, no, all these stories. And they described by collecting this, this legend from the communities at that time. And they described uh Viracocha with those characteristics, no? And they were not very much like the way how, how we look, no? That's why um, Atahualpa, uh, knowing that there were some foreigners or some strange people, let's say, looking very different to us, no? Because if you see paintings of the Spaniards uh, of those times, of course, no? They are completely different to us. Even they have this big mustache, right? Mm -hmm. and big beards. That if you see native people, we are hairless. See? We don't have that genetic uh, characteristic, no? Um, this is a characteristic of many of us. You see the men in the communities? They don't have mustache or beards. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's gen wow. genetica. Genetica. So that's... Um, and Europeans, they, they did, and they did, and they do, you know? So um, that's why Atahualpa was, I believe, very into knowing these people. That's why the meeting was set, you know? And that's why the Spanish were able to, like you said, conquer the Incas so easily was because the mm -hmm. Spanish just had a couple hundred soldiers, if my memory serves me right. The Inca had mm -hmm. thousands upon thousands, yet the the Spanish just walked right in because they were welcomed, right? And, yes. Um, mm -hmm. It's pretty much, uh, it was pretty much like that, no? The, when the news of the new war hits Europe, there were thousands of people adventuring to do this expedition, but not many of them 
made it. Like hundreds of them, they died on the way. Some of them, they just went back to Europe, no? And there were just a small group arriving, no? And that's why, the, um, because of the circumstances were like this, no? Atahualpa set a meeting, then by surprise, the Spaniards attacked and took him as a prisoner. Mm-hmm. And that's how uh, the Incas or the the, the civilization, all the people, they want to save their their ruler, so they opened the doors to the Spaniards, no? And so it was all the strategy, I believe, and but also the legends. I think they did a big part of of this other chapter of Peru, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Natalia, this has been an amazing interview with you. So great <laughs> to see you again. Oh, and gracias, th- Derek. <laughs> thanks for making the time. How can um how can viewers and listeners follow you if they want to f- keep up to date with what you're doing? Are you on social media? Yes, I am in social media and not on road. I will leave you now, uh, so they can they can check on the um, on my on my page. Instagram. No? In my Instagram, yes, it's, yes, it's correct. And um, yes, so I. I'm, I'm sharing my travelings there, also my reflections, and and you know I am I'm also want to know more. So I think it's something that connected with you and with all of you, you no? Know? Yeah. Because we have that feeling that something is coming up. So. <laughs> yeah. So and we want to, and we want to be part of it too. If you're on Instagram. Um, Look for uh, Natalia. Uh, her handle is Nat underscore on road. So N-A-T underscore mm-hmm. O-N-R-O-A-D. Follow her for, she's got a lot of great photos, videos, and mm-hmm. uh, more information to learn about the amazing uh, Inca empire and the pre-Inca cultures of Peru. So mm-hmm. uh, Natalia, thanks again so much. And um, oh, I got to tell everybody to join <laughs> us next year for our Peru and Bolivia tour. It's going wow. to be August 1st through the 12th. And um, you might get to meet Natalia. We'll find out. I don't, I, at this point, I don't know who all our guides will be, but it would be so awesome to have you back. Mm-hmm. And um, so you can go to uh, ancientexpedition.org slash tours to get all the information on that tour. Um, we're going to go to Bolivia. We're going to go to Tiwanaku, Pumapunku. And then we're going to... See go up to Peru and hit Machu Picchu and all the amazing sites there. So hope you can join us and uh, Natalia, thanks again so much and have a great day. Uh, Muchas gracias, Derek. And well, thank you for the invitation. It's, It's a pleasure.